You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. The next day, the large crowd that had come out to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. It's the word of God for the people of God. Well, we're now entering in um, to the last week of Jesus' life. Um, a large part of the Gospel of John, a large part of all the Gospels, is taken up with that last week. And it begins with uh, the triumphal entry. And we're used to hearing this story on Palm Sunday as we uh, prepare for Easter, uh, but appropriate for us as we work our way through John to, to see it within context and, and look at what is going on. Jesus has uh, just been anointed by Mary, uh, he's been staying at Bethany, the Passover is coming, and he begins his entry into Jerusalem. And as he does, he's met with huge crowds. Um, some records around the time record two and a half million or more coming into the city from all around. The Passover and some of the other feasts were mandatory for people to be part of. And so they would, if they lived within a certain area, they had to be there. And many would come throughout the Roman Empire to be part of the festivities. And so Jesus comes and word is spreading. We're, we're told that he had raised Lazarus and everybody wanted to see him and wanted to see what was going on and... Well, you know, anytime a, a crowd gathers, that tends to just gather more people. So this huge crowd is gathering, and he comes in with all the ceremony of a king entering into his capital. Um, and what we see here is the declaration of Jesus as king. He, they proclaim, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel, and they're, they're celebrating with one of the psalms, that's out of Psalm 118. And we're told that they take palm branches um, and cut them down and begin waving them. Now, the palm branches were kind of a nationalistic symbol. So in our context, imagine a bunch of people waving American flags. You know, this is seen as a patriotic thing. And for them, a patriotic, nationalistic um, declaration was in the context of this nation that was under Roman authority. So there were big political connotations of the king of Israel kind of coming with the hopes of liberating from Rome. The, the, the palm branch had appeared on coins at times as part of their um, you know, symbol of their nation. 
We're told when the Maccabees, about 150 or so years before Jesus was born, they had overthrown their, you know, the kings that were over them, and they brought in the declaration of that overthrow with the waving of palm branches and singing praises to God. And so all of this has the air of a king but a king who's about to raise up a standard, bring up a, you know, a military uh, victory and overcome. That's what the hopes were. And Jesus as king is one of those themes that has been running through John. Uh, he hasn't continually returned to it, but if you'll remember at the very first, when Nathaniel is called um, and he sees that Jesus is the Messiah, he says he's the king of Israel. And the question that Jesus is going to have before Pilate is, is he the king? Is he claiming to be the king? And you'll remember he says, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. But he's hung with, um, on the cross with the sign, the king of the Jews. His kingdom is coming in. He's coming in as a, as a king. And I, I, I want us to catch this. It's very difficult for us who uh, vote in elections to have the, the idea of what a king is, but a king rules. Maybe just think of ruler, of the leader, who is one who governs. And when we hear about Jesus being our king, I think there's a, a, a tendency for us to try to make that a metaphor. We talk about the kingdom of heaven, and we, we talk about his kingdom not being of this earth, and I think there's a temptation for us to, to kind of equate the idea, well, it's a spiritual kingdom, as though spiritual is somehow less real. But in truth, spirit is more real. And in truth, the kings of this earth are just metaphors for the king of kings. So, don't, don't dismiss this as metaphor. He is a king, and he rules, and he governs, and he governs even the leaders of this world, eventually one day perfectly establishes his kingdom. And so as we kind of move on, as John shows us a little bit of what this kingdom is like, keep in mind, he really is the one who rules us. He really is establishing his reign through his people, and one day we'll have it perfected. And, and I just, it's good for us to kind of ask ourselves, do we, do we really live as though he is king? When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, do we really have a sense of anticipating that in our lives? In other words, is Jesus recognized as king, as ruler, as Lord of your life? Let me show you one of the ways that might work out. Do you pray as though he is the king of kings? I mean, if you think about the way you pray, if you realize that Jesus really is in control of all things, he really has the authority and the power to do all things, and he is your king, do you realize when you go and pray that you are asking one who is able to do all things? You are asking one who controls all events in history and all people. We're not just sending up a wish 
list. We're not blowing out candles on a birthday cake or counting stars and just hoping, crossing our fingers. We are approaching the one who absolutely reigns over all. And he loves us. And we come before him as one who can and will do what is good for us. We come to our king. With all this, Jesus does come as king. He doesn't say, no, 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 I'm, I'm just a servant. He comes and he accepts their praise. He accepts all the imagery of king. But Jesus does something amazing because he wants them to understand something about his kingdom. You see, they're having in their mind someone who will bring the sword, who will attack Rome, who will raise up an army and in violence and power overthrow. But Jesus, while he is a king, does not want us to misunderstand what kind of king he is. And so it says, and Jesus uh, found a donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That is, rather than coming in on a horse, an animal for war, he comes in on a donkey, a symbol of peace and ease. I mean, if you just imagine what comedy it would look like to have um, an army on donkeys. I mean, that, that's just not a symbol of cavalry, you know, a, a cavalry. Calvary, Calvary, oh, I'm getting lost. Anyway, he, he, he sits on this donkey. And even this quote John gives us is a little bit different. The, the actual quote from Zechariah is, Rejoice, your king is coming. And, and, and almost in a sense of, listen, remember, fear not. That, it, that it's a kingdom of peace where there is no fear. And actually, if you look at Zechariah 9, 9 through 11, this is what he's quoting. So he wants us to hear all of this in mind that the king comes mounted on a donkey. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. It's not just the picture of one on a donkey. But it's bringing up this, this promise that he's going to cut off the chariot. He's going to cut off the war horse. He's going to stop the battle bow. He's going to make for peace. It's not going to be weapons of war. The only blood that is shed is the blood of the covenant that redeems people from the pit. The only blood Jesus is going to shed, he's, he's on this donkey saying, this is what my kingdom is, and he's going to shed his own blood rather than the blood of any enemies of, of the nation. It's a kingdom of peace. And a kingdom of peace that is brought by His sacrifice to reconcile enemies. To make peace with us and God. To make a covenant of a, a reign that will never have war and violence and bloodshed again. We must always keep this in mind that the King we follow is a victorious king. 
He is a powerful king. He is a king that every knee will bow down to and confess. But he is a king that comes to bring peace. And we who are citizens of this king, we who follow him, can never take the attitude of the nations of the world around us that it's okay to coerce, to use violence, to threaten, that we make for peace. We follow one who is reconciling things. That we seek the welfare of all. We follow one who, when one of his men took up sword in his name to strike at the enemy, he says, Peter, put away your sword. We worship one who told us, turn the other cheek. We worship one who told us not to seek vengeance, for God is the one who brings justice. And I just, we need to remember this because we're in a climate where people are at each other's throats over political divisions. And it seems to just get more and more divided the more we can segment ourselves into people who think like us and believe like us and paint the other people as an enemy. That, that seems to be more and more what's happening. And so in a world where some people are saying punch a Nazi and others are saying own the libs, we remember we follow a king of peace. And we come in humility And I say that because it becomes so easy to look at other people rather than images of God that we love and we share this good news with as opponents. We have no enemies other than Satan and his evil kingdom and his lies and deceit. And so our relationships with others especially with those who disagree with us, and especially with those who would seek our harm, is to pray for them and love them and treat them out of our own humility. That is the way we follow our King. He comes as a King. Absolute authority. But a King who uses His authority to make for peace and good. And yet, or maybe, and because, his kingdom is universal. I'm loving reading the words of the Pharisees commenting on everything we're reading lately. You know, there's just little comments we go back to of the Pharisees and the high priest. And they're always ironically speaking the truth. The Pharisees have been plotting to kill Jesus. And in verse 19, they say to one another, you see, you're gaining nothing. Look, the world's gone after him. In other words, all we're doing is we're not doing anything. We're not making anything happen. We've got to get busy. We've got to do this because the whole world has gone after him. And they just meant the the people who were there. But if you can imagine John's audience of made up of all the nations and us who are part of that world, we see Indeed, the world has gone after him. As this was thousands of miles away, the other side of the earth, and Jesus' name is proclaimed, and people from every tribe and tongue and nation are coming to him and praising him as king, how right they were. And absolutely, because of what they do, um, even furthers his kingdom. The world has gone after him. And in a sense, what they're saying is what the prophecy from Zechariah was saying. 
Did you catch that part after he talked about destroying the weapons of war? He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. His kingdom expands to be over all. Um, Wednesday nights, we're, we're looking at Old Testament stories and we just talked about Abraham and the blessing of Abraham was that through him would be the blessing of all the nations. And Jesus is the one who fulfills that because he is the king over all. His reign is over all and it's a reign of blessing that will reach to all. There's a final reference in the Bible to um, people waving palm branches. In a sense, it's the fulfillment of what is happening here. It's the fulfillment of, of His kingdom. It's in Revelation 7-9. John receives a vision. He says, After this I look, and behold, a great multitude that, one, uh, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. In other words, this, this emblem of what they took as their, um, their nation, their, their grouping, their tribe, their people, is now what is including every tribe and every tongue, every ethnicity, every nation, people throughout the world waving palm branches and praising King Jesus whose reign is over all. Because of that, we announce His kingdom to all people. We, we announce the good news of His reign to every tribe and nation and people and language. So the question this leaves us is, are you in that crowd waving the palm branches and recognizing Him as your King? Do you have a life that shows you bend the knee to Him that when Jesus commands you obey His will? Are you coming to Him as your King, as one who has control and whose will is over yours? And do you come to Him as one who is a true King, that you trust in Him to have conquered your enemies of sin and death? Are you trusting the King who sheds His blood of the covenant to conquer our only enemy so that we might be secure and protected and governed by Him. Do you trust in Him as your King? And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.